Sam, it's funny you mentioned the Thomas Guide. Um, I going. We've been uh, slowly but surely emptying out our storage unit. Yay! Finally got it done. But uh, when a few weeks back, actually beginning of summer, when I was going to take my son out to uh, Virginia uh, for his new job, we ran across the one of the Thomas guides we had in storage from years past, um, probably from the 90s, if I remember right. And it was just amazing to him to look at that book and see that big guide and how we get a small picture a small of, of where you were and to find out where you were going to go. You had to look up a, a map, you had to, I mean, look at a, a table, find out where that went to. Um, it, it was just, he was just floored. He just pulls out his, oh, he's in, um, his, uh, pulls out his iPhone and said, old school, Dad. That's too old school for me. So, yeah. What are you going to do when, when it all goes down? Yeah, well, I'm my old Thomas guy, which is out of date, unfortunately. <laughs> so, which is a great segue, right? Because we're going to look at uh, another guide to life uh, that never goes out of date. Um, never needs updating. Uh, it's, it's always there for us. Uh, we have to work hard to, to, to understand it sometimes. We have to dig deep. Um, but it's, it's our guide for life, and it's not just about what to do, it's about who we're doing it for and who we are in Christ. So today we're looking at God's Word uh, from Ephesians 4, 17 to 32. It's the continuation of uh, a series I started the last time I was here. Uh, we're going to read the, uh, the whole section, but the actual verse today is Ephesians 4, 28, and that's in bold uh, in, your, um, on your, in your hand out there. So if you stand with me as we hear from God's Word. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Siri thought I'm talking to her. No, sorry, Siri. I'm not talking to you. Paul says, from God's Word, Now I say this and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer work, walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. This is Ephesians 4, uh, 17. I'm following that. Um, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. In our passage for today, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Heavenly Fathers, we come to your word in, in the name of Jesus Christ, and for your sake and for his sake, we pray that we would be changed simply by our interaction 
uh, with your word, just by the hearing of your word now as your Holy Spirit moves in us. But we also pray that we would uh, be able to uh, understand it more deeply, to understand more fully uh, what it means to be conformed to the image of Christ, to serve him uh, as he serves you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So, um, my, my, you know, children are always, I love, I love having children around because they always, you know, they, they, they always say funny things, right? It's, what was the, Ken say the darnest things, um, book way back when. I remember one of my kids, uh, Ethan, when he was four, um, it was at church on Sunday morning. He was in a hallway uh, after Sunday school class, and the Sunday school teacher was with him, waiting for uh, his mom, my wife, uh, to show up because she was teaching another class. And as he was sitting there, he was listening to the conversation that Mrs. Taz was having to another uh, another mom uh, in the congregation in the hallway. And uh, Mrs. Taz was kind of complaining that there was never enough money. She never had enough money to do the things she wanted. And my son pipes up, Mrs. Taz, did you check the underwear drawer? There's always money in the underwear drawer. So, of course, Mrs. Taz has to tell us about that. Um, but uh, that's kind of a, a, a metaphor for our lives, isn't it? We, we always want to find the, we always think there's an easy way to get things. Um, that's what this passage is, is talking to. Um, it's talking to, to people who are looking for an easy way out, not willing to, to do the hard thing. Maybe we're more akin to, for, for those of you who are Arrested Development um, fans, anybody watch Arrested Development? Okay. Um, remember the expression, there's always money in the banana stand. Remember that one? There's always, no. So it, it's about a, a, a family, dysfunctional family, totally dysfunctional. The father owns a, a construction company uh, and a banana stand, banana stands on Balboa Peninsula or Balboa Island, you're never quite sure where it is, but it's a frozen banana stand. And he has embezzled money from the construction company and from the government. Um, uh, and so he's in jail and his oldest son takes on the reign of running the, the company, uh, not happily, he's over his own rejections. So he's always running out of money and he goes and talks to his dad about how they're doing poorly in the construction company and his father says, there's always money in the banana stand. And of course, the son says, yeah, 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 there's always that we can fall back on. Not realizing what he meant was, the father meant was, there's all of his embezzled money is been stuck in the, in the walls, hidden in the walls, the banana stand, which they find out later after they torch it to try to get the uh, insurance money. They put all that money up in, in the smoke. But that's kind of the, the, the way of life, isn't it? That a lot of people, the, the world thinks in terms of, of trying to find things without working at it. Um, Paul's addressing that in our passage today. And in the passage, like all the other things that are going on in here, it's not just a list, it's not just like the Ten Commandments, it's not a list of do's and don'ts. By the way, the Ten Commandments was never just a list of do's and don'ts either. It was what this is. It was who we are in Christ, who we are to be in, in the family of God, the kind of behavior that we're to, to do um, because of the, of the hearts that we have in Christ. And if our hearts are bad, our behavior will be bad. And Paul is appealing to the new heart, the new nature. And he says early on, he says, <clears throat> he says, that is not the way you learn Christ. Assent, uh, assuming you have 
heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. He is a, he's telling us not to be like the world. And so when he starts off by saying, let the thief no longer steal, he's not just saying a nice thing, a nice, like I said, one of the commandments, thou shalt not steal. He's going to the very heart of each and every one of us. And what helps us to understand that is he doesn't use the normal word for thief like we hear the word for the thief on the cross. Or in an earlier passage, um, <clears throat> Paul, I'm sorry, another passage in 1 Corinthians, Paul goes down a list of, of people who will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he, he says this, he says, Do not know that the, righteous, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexually, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says this, and such were some of you. Pointing out to the fact that every one of us fits somewhere in that list. Not one of us is, uh, is, is, has earned the kingdom of heaven. Not one of us deserves the kingdom of heaven. Somewhere we fit in that list. And when he's talking about thieves there, he's talking about professional thieves or people that as a way of life would steal. Um, and, and at first glance, you would think that that's what Paul is talking about here in Ephesians 4, but he doesn't use the normal word for thief like he does in 1 Corinthians 6. Literally, he says, let the one who steals steal no longer. Let the person who is stealing steal no longer. And what I believe is he's talking to every one of us because every one of us somehow steals. Think about what stealing is. Stealing is taking something that doesn't belong to you. Stealing is trying to take something that you have not earned, that rightfully belongs to someone else. Think with me in, 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 in terms of what stealing is, other than just picking up an object that doesn't belong to you. How do we steal? How do we steal from, how do I steal from my wife? Let's go there, because this is what convicts me all the time. How do we steal from my wife? Do I go into her, her, her underwear drawer and take the money, which is always there? There's always money in the underwear drawer. No, it's more insidious than that. Anytime I pay attention to, to tasks that are, are only benefiting me and not benefiting her and the family, I'm stealing from her. Anytime I look at someone else with envy or lust, I, I'm stealing from my wife. I'm stealing from the glory that belongs to her, from the honor that belongs to her. I'm stealing from the attention I'm supposed to give to her. We do that with our, uh, again with our families. If I'm, if I'm not actively contributing to, to, my, to the growth of my children, to, to training them in the ways of the Lord, to teaching them about life and, 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 and showing them the, the wisdom that's in the Scripture in the book of Proverbs, I, I'm stealing from them. I'm, I'm, I'm taking what's rightfully theirs and not, not giving to them, and I'm obviously doing something else with my time that I should be giving to them. But where does this all begin? Well, where do you think I'm going to go when I say, where does it all begin? Genesis 1, right? Back to the beginning. And, to, and I wanted you to look at um, with me, um, and you know what? I don't have this one listed in here, but just so I think back, 
what was the first, what was really the essence of the first sin? The first sin was when Adam and Eve, remember what they did, they listened to the devil, so it's kind of a bunch of things going on at once. They, they, they didn't guard the garden like they were supposed to. Uh, Satan comes in, he tempts them. They believe the lie that they will be like God, knowing good and evil, if they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and life. But what was the essence? They wanted to be like God, right? They wanted God's glory for themselves. They literally tried to rob God of something that belonged to him and take it for themselves. The Bible later, much later, calls that robbery. I'm not going to tell you where that is right now because it's kind of the punchline to this whole thing. Sam knows where I'm going, I hope, right? The Bible considers that robbery, taking from God what belongs to him. That's the essence of sin. That's what our lives are. We're all thieves in some respect. We all steal because we are children of, of Adam. We, it's a conflict, of course, because now we are children, back to being children of God, redeemed in Christ. We're children of God. We've been taught in Christ. We've learned Christ. Um, we've been washed. We've been redeemed, as 1 Corinthians goes on later to, to say. But we still have that old nature, and that's what Paul is talking about in this passage. We still fight with that old nature. We still want to put on the old clothes that, that really don't belong to us anymore. The clothes of lying and stealing and, and anger and um, uh, 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 malice and um, not being kind to one another. And, and he's telling us we've got to take off the, those clothes that don't belong to us and put them back on. And one of the things we've got to take off is this, this attitude of taking what doesn't belong to me. But this passage is more than just about saying, stop stealing. Don't do it. We are to be doing something else. Again, if, you're, if, if we're stealing, we're taking something from someone else, or doing something that doesn't belong, uh, taking the time to do something that doesn't belong to us, we're not putting the time in that we're, we're supposed to be doing. That's the focus again. Look what Paul says next. He says, um, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. The antidote for someone who steals is not stop stealing, but is to work. I mentioned the last time a, a, a little ditty that uh, G. Adams used to say to kind of remind us what this passage is about. Uh, he'd, he'd say, it's like the old children's uh, puzzle, or children's riddle. Um, when is a door not a door? Remember that? When it is a jar? Yeah, think about that, right? So when is a thief not a thief? When he's working, when he's someone that is actually working. Well, that's what Paul is talking, trying us to, to, to do, to, to understand what we're to do is to labor for others, labor for God and for others, to work for God, to do something that is good, not just stop doing something that's bad, but do something that is good. And that's the essence of the word there, doing honest work. It's, it's work that is, li literally, it's work that is good, work that is good and holy. And, and why are we supposed to do that? Just because it's the right thing to do? No, because that's what God does. That's the essence of God himself and what Christ does. Um, Jesus contrasts uh, the, the really Satan in himself, although he's talking in John 10, 
the passage I'm going to look at real quick here, John 10, 10, he's looking at, uh, he's talking about him being the, the shepherd of the sheep. He's talking about the sheepfold, and he talks really in this, uh, about the, uh, the Pharisees and the leaders of Israel who are supposed to be the true, she- true shepherds of Israel. But he kind of he calls them thieves, and he says this, The thief comes only to steal, to, to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. But really, he's, he's looking back to the great killer, the great destroyer, Satan. And he calls him, in, in, in analogy, by analogy, he calls him the thief. The thief. Not just a thief, the thief. And so that's the essence of Satan again. That's the essence of, of the bad nature, the essence of the world. We're, we're by nature thieves, and what we do when we steal from someone, we're not just... Yeah. People say, you know, there, there's such things as... as um, Victimless crimes. No, there's no such thing as a victimless crime, especially when it comes to stealing, because somebody gets hurt, someone is missing something, someone is just something is destroyed. When I'm not paying that attention to my wife and building her up as, as Christ, as Ephesians six tells us, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, and gave Himself up for her, so that He might present her in her full glory to God. That's what we're supposed to be doing. If I'm not actively working towards that, I'm stealing from her and destroying something in our in our relationship. So what's the answer to those kind of things? What's the answer to our, our stealing? It's to, to understand that Christ is both our example and the one who empowers us to do what he is doing. Um, So we have, we're, 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 we aren't anymore one, the, the one who steals. We're now to be the ones who are working at what is good. Paul says, working with that which is good with his own hands. That evokes us back to our original call as humans too. Let's go back again to Genesis 1. What was the task that God gave Adam when he created him, and by extension Eve, because he was, she was going to be his helpmate. It says in Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Those are the literal terms, to work and keep. It's actually work and guard. The first part was to work, to, to develop it. For what? What was he develop it for? Well, for two things. One was for God. He was supposed to bring the, the labors of his hands to God as an offering. But the other thing he was to do was to work for the benefit of others. It wasn't just Adam that was in view here, or Eve. It was a whole society. God was, had designed the world not just for two people, but for a whole world of people. And the whole ideal would have been that we would have all worked for one another as we work for God, helping one another, developing one another, encouraging one another, um, teaching one another, uh, building things for one another, uh, uh, developing society for one another. What we see around us isn't a bad thing. This isn't just a result of the fall that we are now living in homes or living in beautiful places. This was all part of God's plan. If you look at the end of history, the look at the book of Revelation, we're going to be living in rooms, right? In my Father's house are many rooms or many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. The heavenly city Jerusalem, 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles, I think, it's huge. It's, it's, it's a physical place we're going to live. It's got walls. It's got gates. This is, this is still was all part of God's plan that we develop society. But it's flawed. 
we have sin, we have thorns and thistles in a sense in the world that, that we fight against. We have sin that, we, that, that encumbers us and works against us as people steal from one another. And that wasn't the way it was supposed to be. So now our work is different. The, 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 heart, the work that is good that we do has a different twist to it. It's the work of redemption. We see that in Christ and we see that in God. Jesus says, the, he's talking about God at work. Jesus, remember the, the situation where it was on the, um, on the Sabbath day and his, and his disciples were, were picking grain on the Sabbath, to, something to eat, and the Pharisees complained, look, they're working on the Sabbath, they're eating, and, and they shouldn't be, they, I'm, I'm sorry, they're picking grain so they can eat. And, and Jesus corrects their misunderstanding that the Sabbath wasn't made for man, I mean, the, a, a man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. It was supposed to be a day of rest. But there was always somebody that was working on the Sabbath, whether it was the priests um, that were doing the offerings, um, it, whether it was this, whoever it was that was serving the food for the family that day, the food they had, had were supposed to prepare for the six days before. There was always somebody working. And he points out the fact, he says, even the Father is working on the Sabbath. He says something interesting. He says in... Um, John 5, 17, my father is working until now, and I am working. He was, he was literally, the essence of what he's saying, kind of literal, is my father is working till this very moment. In other words, my father is working on the Sabbath. What's the work of the father on the Sabbath? What's the work of Jesus on the Sabbath, the supposed day of rest? It's the work of redemption. I read something recently, actually I listened to a, a a lecture recently, and I just bought a, a book and started reading it. And it's by a historian named uh, Eric Eric Klein. Uh, it it was a uh, a lecture from the uh, American Society of Oriental Research. Um, I know it's kind of wonky sounding, but um, I, I I say that for Chad's purpose. Chad's you kind of you like the, the all the ancient stuff, right? You like the the history. Um, you encouraged me one of the first times I came here when I was talking about some of that stuff, and I went back and started reading some of my old journals, and I subscribed to a, a, a service, and, and it was one of the lectures that came through. Uh, but it was a, the, the title of the lecture and the the book is the uh, 1177 BC, the year civilization collapsed, and it's about the end or the collapse of the Bronze Age. It's a about a 200 to 400 year period of time where the Bronze Age collapsed, but one year everything seemed to kind of collapse in on itself. And I want to read from the, the uh, intro to the book and because um, I want to show you it looks like just history, but we find out it's God at work in redemption. In 1177 BC, marauding groups known only as the Sea Peoples invaded Egypt. The Pharaoh's army and navy managed to defeat them, but the victory so weakened Egypt that it soon slid into decline, as did most of the surrounding civilizations. Remember, by the way, this quick aside, Canaan, Glen Canaan, was next door to Egypt. It was a place where Egypt often uh, went. They, 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 would, um, they would go through there, they would overtake the land, take it back from other people, uh, they would get into relationships with the Canaanites where they would, the Egyptians would be the ones that would protect them. So all of a sudden, Canaan in that area is no longer the protection of, of Egypt. But let me go on. After centuries of brilliance, the civilized world of the Bronze Age came to an abrupt and cataclysmic end. 
Kingdoms fell like dominoes over the course of just a few decades. No more Minoans or Mycenaeans, no more Trojans or Hittites or Babylonians. The thriving economy and cultures of the late 2nd millennium BC, which had stretched from Greece to Egypt and Mesopotamia, suddenly ceased to exist. Along with writing systems, technology, and monumental architecture, but the Sea Peoples alone could not have caused such widespread breakdown. How did it happen? In this new major account of the causes of the first Dark Ages, Eric Klein tells the gripping story of how the end was brought about by multiple interconnected failures, ranging from invasion and revolt to earthquakes, drought, and the cutting of international trade routes, bringing to life the vibrant multicultural world of these civilizations. He draws a sweeping panorama of the empires and globalized peoples of the late Bronze Age and showed why it was their very interdependence that hastened their dramatic collapse and ushered in a dark age that lasted centuries. 1177, let's round it off, 1200 BC. Think about your Bible history if you know it. What was happening around then? The nation of Israel. But was it a nation then? No. It, it was the birth of the nation of Israel. It was a time where the Israelites had just entered the Promised Land. They were still, a, in a sense, a nomadic people. They'd been 40 years in the wilderness. Uh, they were tribes. They were very tribal. Uh, and and you, you see that is the, the period of the judges. It's just it, it, this kind of that's where 1177 is in the period of the judges. There there there's not yet a nation. But without without Greece and without Mesopotamia, uh, with, without the strength of those countries, without the strength of Egypt or or even the Sea Peoples, um, the Philistines were kind of the remnants of the Sea Peoples. They think without all of those. Israel was allowed to grow and to flourish. Yes, they had their enemies, the Philistines, though they were the people that were raiding into, um, uh, into uh, in the period of Judges, they would come in, uh, remember the, uh, the story of Gideon and the threshing floor? Um, he was hiding out in the threshing floor. Uh, it, it, won't get into that, but be, they were hiding out from the, the, the people that would sweep in from, the, from Arabia and come in to, to steal their crops because there was a drought. All of this was working to get being worked together by God for the growth and the strengthening of Israel. They learned even through those hard times how to be a people that could battle, how could could overcome their enemies, and to be flourish in the land. God was at work in redemption. This is no coincidence. God's always been at work in history. He's been working for the redemption of his people, and Christ has been working. He's been working for the, the bringing about of His Son Jesus Christ in the world, and Christ continues to work in us in the same way. No matter what we see around us, no matter the things we, we are experiencing in life, no matter if it's COVID or, or we're having a, a supply line problems and we have um, uh, a hoarding of, of people, uh, a hoarding of things from the, the grocery store and, and um, just things seem to keep happening around us. We still never seem to get better and society seems to get worse. There's always a reason for it. God's still at work in his people. And he wants us to be part of that work. He never wants us to rest. And that's where we get to the next thing that's really kind of the, the key to this whole passage where Paul says, let's go back to our passage and I'll read it again. He says, um, let the one who steals no longer steal, but rather let him labor. Literally, wear himself out with labor is what it means. That word for labor is not the normal word for work. 
some of the versions have let him work, doing good. No, it's let him work to exhaustion. That's the call. We're not to be people that just get by, just do the thing that we're supposed to do. We're to go above and beyond. We're to labor to where it hurts. He's not saying you don't take vacations. He's not saying you don't find rest. We're still supposed to have one day in seven. It's still the Lord's day. It's still to honor Him. We're supposed to still focus on this day as is for the Lord. We're still supposed to try to refrain. We're, we're supposed to refrain. Here's one who's talking. I'm working now for a company. I'm doing um, security work uh, for a company that's... Uh, uh, in the entertainment industry, and unfortunately, um, being low on the on the totem pole, I got to work Sundays. My wife's got to work Sundays, um, but at least we're contributing to uh, to others in some sort. Although Sam calls the place I'm working the fakest place on earth. I think you called that Did yeah, I the fakest place on earth. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I like it. Yeah, you like it. Yeah, I'll take it to that. That's why I, we love it. Yeah. So I, you know, it, it's hard. It's it's work. It's rewarding. Work is supposed to be rewarding. Work is supposed to be part of our nature. Work never is supposed to stop. Um, work has always been part of our DNA from the Lord. But now we have a different take on it. No matter what we're doing, it's supposed to be work of redemption. The people we interact with, the people we work for, our families, it's all supposed to be about contributing to them. To work, to work ourselves to death, in a sense. What's the old expression? Um, uh, about, I can't think of it. It, it, it. We'll rest when we die, right? We'll, 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 rest, we'll rest when God comes. Yeah. We're, we're not supposed to give up. We're supposed to continue to continue. Why? Why do we do that? It's because Christ does that and we are in Christ. Think about it. Um, oh, one, one other thing before I finish here. Christ has redeemed hard work. Hard work used to be a curse. When Adam was cursed by God uh, in the, and after the fall. You know, he, God turns to Satan and curses him, turns to the woman and curses her in childbirth. And he turns to Adam and says, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, in Genesis 3, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust shall return. Toil. Hard labor. That's what's evoked by that passage. You shall toil. You shall labor. In, in Ephesians, it's, it's not going to be easy. But there's something, again, that's different. It's now a work of redemption. Why? Because Christ took that toil and, and turned it into a work of redemption. What did he do for us? He toiled night and day. He, he, even in his praying for the Lord, he often prayed by himself. He, he, remember, he, at one point, prayed drops of sweated drops of blood, prayed that hard for us. He never gave up. He never gave up to the point of death. And what was his crown as he went to the cross? Crown of thorns. He took. The very symbol of of toil and of curse, and he turned it into a badge of honor, as we would call it, a crown of honor. Hebrew says he despised the shame of the cross. In other words, he mocked the shame of the of the curse. 
he took it on himself and made something great of it. And that's why we have a whole different perspective on life. Because our life is one of redemption in Christ, but we are also called to redeem others, whether it's individuals or as a family or as a church. No matter what you all decide to do or to be, you already have your DNA. No matter where you end up, whether it's here as a group or in other churches in the, in the near future, your DNA is to be labors for God and for, for others, for neighbors, to find, to, to, to find those who are in need, as the passage says, to, to have something to give to those who are in need, to the person in need. No matter what the need is, spiritually or physically, that's what we're called to do. And again, our great example, and the one who set the pace for us, and the one who, whom, in whom we are, is the one who did that for himself. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 has says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and be found in human form, he held himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And if you're looking at my notes, you've noticed something here. I put in the actual King James translation. King James translation was kind of odd, and a lot of people didn't like it, like later translators. It just didn't make sense. But the literal reading of that passage is, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Do you see it? Do you see what he's, what, what he's saying there? Adam and Eve thought considered it, considered themselves to be equal with God, but it was robbery. It didn't belong to them. What belonged to Jesus, in his mind, and that's what it means to consider, he, he, in his thoughtful way, he knew that to take God's honor and glory was not robbery. It belonged to him as the Son of God. As the one who was given the world to rule. To, 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 to well, first of all, create and rule. He said it, it wouldn't have been robbery for him to, to hang on to that, but he gave that up. He did something different. He couldn't rob, but what he could do was give. And in a sense, he robbed from his own glory. He took what rightfully belonged to himself, and he's given it to you and to me in fellowship with the Father and his family. That's who you are in Christ. And being last, last Sunday, I, I mentioned my, my, the one phrase that my father told me that changed my life over, over several times from saying it. Maybe understand that it, life isn't about doing right or doing wrong. He said, when I was tempted to do something wrong, he corrected me from doing something wrong. He said, that's not who we are. He was talking about us as a family and us as Christians. That's not who we are. And that's what Paul's saying. If you're doing those things, you're, you're, if you're lying, if you're robbing, you're, you're stealing, if you're, you're angry with people, you're not patient with people, you're not loving people, that's not who you are. We are in Christ. We have learned Christ. And we are to put on Christ as sons and daughters of Christ. Let's pray. Only Father, we have a crisis before us um, in our lives um, or, or I shouldn't say crisis a, 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 a 
a dilemma, a, a, a fork in the road, a, a challenge set before us. Um, it's, it's, and praying as you, uh, for this church of, of what, um, w- where you would have them go. But it's not a, a problem that, that they are alone in, Lord. Every one of us faces individually that every moment of every day. What am I to do? Where am I to go? Who am I to be? Thank you that we can see in Christ who we are to be and where we are to go. We're to follow him. We are to uh, love him. We're to live in him. The one who, uh, who thought it not robbery to be equal with you, to take your glory but instead gave it up for our sake. Let us be the people, work in us through your Holy Spirit to be the people of God, to be, mem- to be seen as members of your family, to sons and daughter- your sons and daughters and brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, to those who work hard to, to death, to, to labor toilessly or endlessly, um, to, to have something so we can gain something to give to others and share with them and to show that it came from your hand and not our own, that everything we have is a blessing from you and is to be given to us to be shared with others. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.